All right. How good, hey? That was actually a couple of years ago, uh, just out at Cornell, uh, at a spot called Cape Slander. The comp's called Cape Fear, but I don't know about those guys. They either got no fear or no brains, going waves like that. But part of me wishes that I was fearless enough to paddle out there. Because I don't know about you, but I think to some extent in our lives, whether it's on the sporting field or in our relationships, the workplace, wherever, I think to some extent we aspire to fearlessness, don't we? We long to live full, free, confident lives at peace within ourselves and those around us, but fear often interrupts that peace and it gets to all of us. And on one level it's natural and it's good. Fear can keep us alive. Fear of surfing massive waves, metres from rocks, probably a good thing. But real fear, deep fear, it can be crippling and consuming, can't it? In fear, uh, we avoid difficult conversations, we neglect important decisions, we struggle to rise up and do what must be done when it truly matters. Fear of rejection, fear of public ridicule, fear of loneliness, fear of losing a loved one, fear of missing out, fear of failure. Fear of the unknown. Now, with all that in mind, let's listen again to the beginning of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. But I wonder, when you're in the midst of difficulty, when fear threatens to take away your peace, is this true for you? Can you, with this psalm, declare... God is my refuge and strength, my ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. Because think back like to that last time. Think back to the last moment you faced difficulty in your life. Or maybe you're walking through something right now. And when you're in the thick of it, is this true? Is God your refuge and strength? Do you trust in his ever-present help. Can you face it, whatever it is, without fear? Because it's true, isn't it? In theory, it's easy, I think, to say and affirm these words when life is good, but in reality, in the midst of turmoil, it's a completely different story. Because in the midst of it, I think we're often tempted to dismiss the promises of this psalm saying things like, yeah, but that's just not possible. You don't understand what I'm going through? How could I know peace at a time like this? And yet, I think this psalm is intended to to move us towards peace at a time exactly like that, where peace feels impossible. Because God isn't speaking to to us through this psalm in theory or in isolation, removed from the realities of the world, but in the midst of it. Because this opening promise comes in the context of chaos. So verse 2, Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Remember back to Genesis 1 and the darkness over the surface of the deep waters And out of that darkness, God forms the dry land. He brings order where there's chaos. And now here we're seeing a reversal of that. The mountains, which should represent the strongest 
safest, most indestructible part of that dry land are now quaking, giving way and falling into the heart of the sea. It's a picture of the whole created order collapsing. And it brings to mind images from all of those end of the world, natural disaster movies, you know the ones. This is from that movie 2012 and obviously it's exaggerated with special effects there but there's a sense also which these things are true, like creation groans, doesn't it? This past week there's been severe storms, tornadoes have swept across North America threatening homes and lives. Uh, on Friday night, there was a volcano erupting in Bali in the past month. Uh, you may have received the updates from our mission partners, the Beckmans in Indonesia or the Goskums in WA, and cyclones and floods in those locations have taken homes and lives. And we hear about these events and we see them on our news feeds, don't we? 200 years ago, we'd probably never have heard about tornadoes in the US or floods in Indo or even cyclones in WA. All you had to worry about were events in your own community. Today it's almost instantaneous. News from anywhere in the world, on the spot, and in some ways it is a huge blessing. It means that we can keep in touch with people all over the place and we can work together to deal with disaster. But at the same time, if you're a sensitive person or prone to worry, or or even just a concerned global citizen with friends and family around the world, you really are called upon to to worry and fret and be anxious about all sorts of events, not just here, but all around the world. And so with all of that stuff coming at us potentially 24-7, filling us with uncertainty, stealing away peace, how do we then get to, God is my refuge... I will not fear. We've probably seen this famous photograph. It's a French lighthouse in the North Atlantic Ocean battered by massive waves in 1989. And I don't know if you can fully see it, but the lighthouse keeper there looks like he just wandered outside just to have a quick casual look, so nonchalant. His hands are actually in his pockets, having a look around, whatever. I don't really know if that's how he feels, but he looks close up, he just looks so calm and confident. And I think it captures the promise of the opening verses of this psalm. Even though the earth gives way and the mountains are falling and and into the heart of the sea, the waters are roaring, God is our refuge. He's unmoved, unshaken. He is, verse 7, a mighty fortress. It means that for us, even when we feel completely overwhelmed, When we look out and see things coming at us that fill us with uncertainty and fear, that seem just hopeless, this situation, beyond our control, well, it is not beyond God's control. Right? He doesn't see as we see. He's not overwhelmed. He's not filled with uncertainty or fear or hopelessness because he is stronger, wiser, and more powerful than anything we will ever face. And in him, we will never face anything alone. He is our ever-present help in trouble. He goes before us and he surrounds us with his protection and his care and his love. He is our refuge. We need not fear. But do you believe it? 
Do you trust him enough to face all of life with faith and not fear? Can you stand calmly and confidently in him even as the waves come crashing through? That's really the question, this psalm, that we keep mulling over as we move through. The psalm then transports us to the city of God and now the scene is one of serenity and safety. In contrast to the roaring, surging, foaming waters of verse uh, 2 and 3, the waters of verse 4 are gentle and calm, producing life and joy. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Now, for Israel, Jerusalem is this city of God. And there was actually a natural stream flowing into the city, providing them with fresh water and sustaining life. But the psalmist is saying here that it is God who dwells within. He is there, the real stream, sustaining his people, nourishing them, producing joy, making glad their hearts. He will keep the city from falling. And yet we know, don't we, that throughout history, Jerusalem was often under attack, surrounded by enemies, threatening destruction. And so, just as the waters roar, verse 6, now it says the nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. First it was nature, now it's the nations. Like the surging waters, nations rise up against nation, kingdoms crumble and fall, the powerful trample the powerless, the strong crush the weak. And reading this psalm, God's people, they only need to cast their minds back to the enslaving power of Pharaoh or the terrifying roar of Goliath or the deafening thunder of hundreds of thousands of Assyrian soldiers marching on Jerusalem. In fact, it's possible that this psalm was written whilst Jerusalem was surrounded by Assyria under siege. In the armies. Now, what about us? What are the threats that we face today? Well, certainly, I think the nations are in uproar. Right? Despite whatever technological and human advancements we've made, the last century has been the bloodiest in history. Nations against nations, kingdoms, dictators, regimes rising up. We feel the effects of religious extremism and cultural and racial tensions, discrimination, corruption, abuse of power, and uncertainty about the future. And as Christians, it's the progressive rejection of religious values and beliefs in favour of a secular worldview. More and more, God is being silenced, pushed further and further into the background. And as humanity builds its kingdoms, roars and boasts, beating its chest in triumph, God is being stripped of his glory. His word is ignored. His love is rejected. His name is scorned. And considering all of that, it can feel overwhelming, can't it? Like a city under siege, surrounded by the enemy. And yet, God's not overwhelmed. He wasn't afraid of the challenges that they faced back then, and he's not afraid of the challenges that we face today. Listen to the rest of verse 6. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, 
he lifts his voice, the earth melts. The earth melts. I love the imagery there in those words. Again, it takes me to a scene from the Avengers or something, you know, where the whole world's at war and it's utter chaos because so far in this psalm we've had verse after verse of disorder and destruction, surging, churning, foaming waters, mountains quaking, the earth quaking and and nations roaring and into all of that chaos God lifts his voice and the earth melts. Picture everything just stops, stillness, silence. That is power. That is our God's power. Right? For all the raw power of nature and the roaring of the nations, it is nothing compared to his power. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. And it is both supremely comforting and also terrifying. It's terrifying because there's a sense in which he lifts his voice in judgment. This world and its people from the beginning rejected his rule. We chose to say no to God. No, I don't want you. I don't need you. I'm going to do this my way. We took his place for our own. We don't live for him. We live for ourselves. And we suffer the consequences. The nations are in uproar. He has every right to lift his voice in judgment. And we may be tended to think, yeah, you know, finally they'll get it. They'll get what's coming to them. But the Bible is clear. The problem's not out there. It's in here. It's in me. It's in you. It's in every one of us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's why this is terrifying. Because there will be a day when we face his judgment. And on our own, we will fall short. And yet at the same time, it is supremely comforting. Because despite our undeservedness, despite our choice to reject him, he chose to rescue us. In love, he chose to send his son. And in love, his son chose to stand in our place, facing the judgment we deserve, sacrificing his perfect life to offer us forgiveness so that by faith in him we might be saved. And that is just incredible. That the God who created the entire universe, whose power and majesty is beyond compare, who is worthy of all glory and praise and yet receives scorn and rejection and apathy, but still he loves us. He loves us so much so that he was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for us. As unworthy as we are, as undeserving as we are, he chose to love us and save us. And so when that God lifts his voice, we hear the voice of a father who would give his one and only son for us. And we hear the voice of a son who would give his life for us. And so when that God lifts his voice, we melt in the comfort and the peace and assurance of his love for us.
And because he was prepared to do that for us, well, we can trust him with our every problem. If we can hand over to him our biggest problem, trust him to deal with our sin, then we can trust him with whatever we might face in this life. He is our refuge. In this world of chaos, in this world under judgment, there is only one truly safe place, only one true refuge, and it's God. It's God. He is our refuge. Is he yours? Is he your refuge? See, the Psalms, they invite us to ask those personal questions, don't they? Is this true for me? Is God my refuge? Therefore, I will not fear. See, the Psalm, it conjures up a lot of fearful images, doesn't it? It takes us to that place of fear and uncertainty and danger and asks the question, what are you ultimately trusting in? And even though we might not see earthquakes and tidal waves or be under siege, the, the trials come, don't they? And in that moment of fear, that's when you learn the truth about yourself. You learn what it is that really has your heart, what it really is that I'm trusting in to keep me together, to give me a sense of purpose and identity and worth. In that moment of fear, that's when you discover what's your refuge, your safe hiding place, your security in the storm. And real fear, deep debilitating fear, it always rears its ugly head in our lives when we put our trust in someone or something other than God. For you, it might be your intellect, your achievements, your successes, your moral goodness that you trust in, or maybe your image, your reputation, popularity, or your material wealth, your bank balance keeps you feeling secure. It could be your independence, your self-sufficiency, your, your ability to work things out on your own, or it could be a particular relationship, a husband, a wife, or being a parent, a mum or dad, a grandma or grandpa, that's what gets you up each morning. Whatever it might be, the Bible says that if it's not God, it's an idol sitting in God's place in your heart and it cannot deliver. It cannot live up to all of your expectations. It cannot promise to always be there no matter what. It cannot deal with all of life's difficulties. It cannot give you lasting peace. And because of that, it will always be surrounded by fear. Because when we put our trust in something or someone other than God, when it lets us down or when it begins to fall apart, that's when we too begin to fall apart. He is the one true refuge. He's not rocked by the storms. He's not swept away by the crashing waves. The roar and thunder of the nations do not frighten him. He will never let you down. He's ever faithful to his word. He keeps all of his promises. He'll never leave or forsake us. And he's the only one 
who can save us from ourselves, from the consequences of our sin. He is our one true refuge. But handing over the reins and surrendering control, putting a trust completely in him, isn't easy, is it? So how can we know? How can I be sure that God will live up to his word and keep me safe? Which is exactly what the writer addresses in the final verses. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield, shields with fire. How can Israel know? The writer says, just look back and see what the Lord has done. Remember how he brought you up out of Egypt. Remember how he delivered you from the Philistines. Remember how he rescued you and turned back the Assyrians. Look back and see. The same God who was faithful then is the same God who is faithful today. Look and see what the Lord has done and look ahead to what the Lord will do. One day God will end all wars. He will break the bow and shatter the spear and bring peace to the ends of the earth. And with that image in mind, God then speaks in this psalm and he says, Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the earth. I will be, I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Even though the earth gives way, the nations are in uproar. To the one whose faith is in this God, whose refuge is in him, God says to that one, be still and know. I am God. I've got this. I'm in control. Trust in me. And like the Israelites, we can look back, can't we? And remember, some fishermen out on the water when a furious squall engulfs them. Gale force winds, waves breaking over the boat, completely swamped. And fearing for their lives, one then goes beneath where another is asleep. And he says, Master, Master, wake up. Don't you care if we drown? And then that one got up, stood before the storm, and into the winds and the waves, he lifts his voice, be still. And the earth melted, didn't it? The winds and the waves died down and it was completely calm. Even the winds and the waves obeyed him. And then when he went into Jerusalem, his own rejected him and the crowds roared, crucify him. And even though they could find no charge against him, he was handed over, mocked, spat on, beaten, hung on a cross to die. And with darkness covering the land, knowing now that all was fulfilled, he lifts his voice, it is finished, he said, and breathed his last breath. And when they saw how he died, the centurion said, surely this man was the Son of God. On the cross, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, faced death and judgment in our place. 
But on the third day, he rose again. He rose again. Even death could not keep him down. And that is power. Even the winds and the waves obeyed him. Even death could not defeat him. That is power. And it is a power motivated by sacrificial, unconditional love. Because he died in our place, knowing everything about you and everything about me, despite all of our failures and sins, regardless of how unworthy and undeserving we are, he still chose to give his life for us. That's how much he loves us. He loves us more than we will ever fully understand or comprehend. And because of that, we can have complete confidence in him. If he was willing to sacrifice himself to save us from our biggest problem, our sin, then we can trust him to deal with everything that we might have to face in this life. He is our refuge. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, our refuge, our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. We need not fear. Even though the earth give way, the nations are in uproar, when he lifts his voice, we hear the voice of a son who is willing to give his life for us. And so when he says, be still and know that I am God, we melt in the comfort and the peace and assurance of his love for us. He is our refuge. Whatever we might face in this life, nothing can separate us from his love. And whatever we might face in this life, nothing can touch eternity with him. He's our refuge. Let's pray. Oh God, We want to lift up our praise and give you all the glory. You are our refuge, you are our strength, you are our ever-present help in trouble. And though the earth give way and the mountains fall and the nations roar, nothing can compare to your power. We thank you that in you we need not fear. We confess, Father, that there are times, though, that we we don't trust you, we don't look to you, that we try to take things into our own hands. We put our trust in ourselves or in someone or something other than you. Father, please forgive us. And Father, help us to have a clear and true view of who you are, to know you in all of your glory and majesty, your transcendent power, that there is no problem, there is no difficulty that we face in our lives that is bigger than you. You are bigger than it all. And yet at the same time in you, we have an intimate, gentle, loving God who draws near to us who is ever-present, who knows exactly who we are, who knows exactly what we're going through, 
and who walks with us in it all. Help us in those moments of fear and difficulty to be still and to know that you are our God. You are a mighty fortress and in you we can trust and have hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.